I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Luke 4, verse 1 to 13. And the theme for this morning's message is, Your Victory in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we come with simplicity, with childlike simplicity, so desiring to come with a humble heart, Lord, for we know our hearts are proud so quickly, so often, but we humble ourselves before you and pray that you would shine the light of your truth into our hearts and that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us afresh the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now last week when Rulf, one of our elders, preached in the afternoon service, he preached from Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. He didn't know that my next passage in Luke, because I'm busy with a series, is the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. So I did think, and I didn't know he's going to preach that passage, so I did think, should I just skip this? But then I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to take it after all, and I'm going to change the emphasis. Luke, uh, Rolf did an excellent job at showing us different ways to conquer and overcome temptation. And I want to shift the emphasis a little and bring out something else this morning. So I do think the Lord worked it that way. We need to hear this passage twice from different perspectives to let it sink into our ears. What the Lord did show me last Sunday afternoon, as Rolf preached toward the end of the sermon, the Lord spoke to my heart showing me that I have started trusting I've started to trust in my strategies to conquer sin more than trusting in the cross of Jesus Christ to conquer sin. And so I realized that, that the key to conquering and overcoming temptation doesn't lie mainly in my strategies. And even if, it's, if those strategies are the strategies of Jesus, saying, quote, scripture, spend time in prayer, fast, or whatever. Because if that were true, then even an unbeliever could conquer his sin. He simply needed to follow these strategies. So the real secret of conquering temptation and overcoming temptation does not lie in our strategies, but it lies in Jesus' victory over Satan. So as soon as you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then his victory becomes your victory. And so your victory lies in Christ alone and not in something that you or I do. And, and only then, once you have looked to Christ, then you can start, start applying your strategies. But even then, as you apply those strategies, constantly we have to look back to Jesus for strength. We have to look back to the cross where we come and confess our sins and find forgiveness because of what Jesus did in his death on Calvary. And then the Lord, then it's the Lord himself who crushes Satan underneath our feet. Romans 16, verse 20. So let's get to our, our passage, Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, 
And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So number one, before the temptation, that's in verse one. No army that is about to go to war lies on the couch watching TV. No, what they're busy doing is they're busy with strategic planning and they're getting their weapons ready and they're getting their soldiers ready. And in the same way, Jesus, in this passage, he's busy, at least before this, he was busy preparing himself for war, for the battle to come. So in, the, in chapter 3, just before the genealogy, when Jesus is baptized in chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, we see him praying. Praying for what? Obviously, the answer to the prayer shows us for what. When the Spirit comes down on him, he had been praying that God would show publicly that he's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And so he's anointed with a Spirit. So he's, he's being prepared for battle. The Spirit comes upon him. Chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And so now he's going to be tempted by Satan. And then also in verse in verse 4, Jesus says, it is written. Verse 8, it is written. Verse 12, it is said. So he's quoting scripture. So obviously Jesus had been memorizing scripture for many years before this. He's like that man in Psalm 1 in verse 2. He meditates on God's Lord day and night. Now if Jesus had wanted to, he could have very easily just won this battle out of his divine nature, drawn from his divine strength. Jesus is God. And he could have conquered Satan easily, but he chose not to do so. Jesus chose to conquer Satan in his human nature. As man, Jesus came into this battle. Yes, he's God and man, two natures, one person. But Jesus decided for these 33 years on earth, he will only act in obedience to his Father, doing the Father's will, in dependence on his Father, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why, for instance, in Matthew 12, Jesus says, If I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons. Or Acts 10, verse 38, that he was anointed or with power and with the Holy Spirit, and then he went about doing these miracles. And that, that's very important. It's not just an aside comment. That's important for two reasons. Reason number one, that would show that Satan here did not tempt, tempt Jesus in his divine nature. Because James 1.13 says God cannot be tempted. So Jesus here was tempted in his human nature, and that's important, secondly, to show that Jesus understands all our temptations, because he himself was man and was tempted as a man. Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 2.17 and 18, he understands, he was man, he understands these temptations, whatever temptations you may go through. 
So then we see the Spirit leading Jesus from the Jordan River into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And now there are some parallels between Jesus, the first or the last Adam, and Adam, the first Adam. And also parallels between Jesus and Israel and some differences. So Jesus and Adam, remember Satan tempted Adam in a garden and told him to eat. And then Adam sinned and he was cast out of the garden into a place of thorns and thistles. We could call it a wilderness in some sense. And so here we see Satan now tempting the last Adam. But not in a garden, being tempted in a wilderness. And he's also tempted to eat. But Jesus does not cave in. He does not give in. He conquers Satan. Why? So that he can bring us back from the wilderness to paradise. And then we see parallels between Jesus and Israel and also differences. So the Holy Spirit led Israel through the desert for 40 years. Nehemiah 9 verse 20 says it was the Spirit who taught them. Isaiah 63 says it was the Spirit who led them in this wilderness. And here we see the Holy Spirit in verse 1 leading Jesus in the wilderness. Not for 40 years, but verse 2 for 40 days. Then we see the Israelites, they were hungry. And they complained. They gave in to the temptation. They complained against God. Here we see Jesus in the wilderness. He's also hungry. It says in verse 2, And he does not complain against God. He trusts his Father and waits upon his Father to provide for him. And then the Israelites, they went out uh, from the desert and they went through the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Jesus, it's like it goes in reverse. He goes from the Promised Land through the Jordan with his baptism into the wilderness. And the reason is so he can, he can do right what Israel did wrong. He can right the wrong. He can conquer Satan, conquer the temptation, so that he can bring us now as new people into the promised land. And then the fact that the Spirit led him in the wilderness, it says in verse 1, that shows that he is sovereign over temptation. So the Spirit led him there. He wasn't drawn there by Satan. The Spirit led him there. And this shows that Jesus is not the passive target of the devil. Jesus goes out actively to war to conquer Satan. He goes on the offense, not the defense. And because he conquered Satan, he can help you and me. He can help us, you and I, in our temptation. And perhaps you at a point in your life, it feels like Satan just will not leave you. Well, go and complain. Go to your older brother, to the firstborn of many brothers, Romans 8.29. Go to Jesus and tell him and pour your heart out because Satan is afraid of Christ and he will flee if Christ gives the command. Like, like in Matthew 4, after the third temptation, Jesus just said to Satan, get behind me, Satan. Leave Satan. And Satan could no longer tempt him in that period of time at least. Or in James 2 verse 19, the demons believe God is one and they shudder, they tremble. James 4 verse 7, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Alright, so that is before the temptation, number one. Number two, the temptation, that's verse 2 to 12. So we see 40 days of temptation in verse 2a. Now, water that just keeps, let's say a tap that keeps on dripping, keeps on dripping. Eventually, it can erode rock if it keeps on going like that for years and years and years. 
And that's how it is with, with continual temptation. If temptation just keeps on coming, 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 keeps on eventually it, it can cause great damage. And Jesus, Jesus realized this, and he felt the power of temptation here. So Satan didn't simply tempt Jesus three times and that was it. No, verse 2 tells us, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Present, that's a present continuous, being tempted. He was tempted for the full 40 days. These three, is, that's just the end and that's the summation or the summary of, of the temptation. But it went on for 40 days. And perhaps you think, yeah, but it was easy. You know, Jesus, he could see Satan coming from a mile. Where does the, where does the Bible anywhere say that Satan here... Yeah, as the children's Bibles draw these pictures, Satan appeared in some visible form, this kind of gargoyle. Where does the Bible say that? Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are tempted. Satan doesn't appear to you in the form of a gargoyle. Then you would immediately know this is the enemy. Don't give in to the temptation. No, remember, Satan is an invisible spirit. Ephesians 2 verse 2, Ephesians 6 verse 12. So just like you and I, Jesus, Jesus didn't even hear a, a whispering in his ear or on his shoulder or in his head. When you're tempted, you don't, you don't hear voices whispering into your ear. Then you'll know it's the enemy. No, what happens with temptation is you think it's your thoughts. But then Jesus is the same. He thinks these are his thoughts, but then when he measures it against Scripture, he realizes this is Satan tempting him. Does it go like that with you sometimes in your thoughts? It just feels you cannot bear this any longer, especially if the temptation just keeps on going for months and even years. Well, Jesus knows how to conquer the devil because he did conquer Satan. So ask his help. I would encourage you to read Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermons on Ephesians 6, on the spiritual armor. Uh, he's got two books on that called The Christian Warfare and The Christian Soldier. You can get the books from Augustine Bookroom in Pretoria or Good Neighbors Bookshop in Randburg. Or if you don't like reading, then listen to those sermons. It's a whole series of sermons on the, the spiritual armor, the spiritual war. Uh, you can find it at the Martin MLJtrust.org. And I, I think you will not easily find better teaching on spiritual warfare than those sermons by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And if you listen to those sermons and you start applying the biblical teaching in your life, it'll change your life. Your life will change. So that's the 40 days of temptation. Then we see the first temptation, verse 2b to verse 4. I read in a book what happens to someone who fasts for 40 days. And this is the process or the process... Uh, on day one to three, you're very hungry and your tongue starts becoming white and your breath starts having a strong smell and you get headaches. And that's just part of the detox process. All these uh, toxic things in your body um, need to leave the body. And then on day four, you, you feel lightheaded and you feel weak. And day six and seven... Then you start becoming more alert and more awake and you feel stronger. Day 9 and 10, the hungers, pains are gone and now you really feel good. And then day 21 to day 40, the hunger pains return and your fat reserves 
you don't have fat reserves in your body anymore, so your body starts um, using other reserves that you don't really have, so it starts deteriorating your muscle and so on. So just to give you an idea, Jesus, he now hadn't had food for 40 days, verse 2, so he must have been very weak, just like Moses, fasting for 40 days, and Elijah. But Jesus needed to fast and pray before he started his ministry uh, to kind of show, I need my Father more than I need food. Jesus even said, my will, or the Father's will, that is my food. To do the Father's will, that is my bread. John 4 verse 34. And it's at this moment that Satan comes and he tempts Jesus with a natural desire. Just this natural desire for food. It's not a sinful desire, but Satan wants to turn it into a sinful desire. Verse 3. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, if Jesus is the son of God, he should be able to do this. Because in, in chapter 3.22, when Jesus baptized, the voice came and said, you're my son. Chapter 3, verse 8, God can turn, said John the Baptist, God can turn these stones into children of Abraham. Or Luke 19, verse 40. If the people don't praise me, if my disciples don't praise me, Jesus said, these stones will start crying out and praise me. So yes, surely Jesus can very easily turn stone into bread. And it's as if Satan here tells him, you've waited for your father long enough. Your father's not trustworthy. You need to help yourself out here. You have the power to do so. And it's not as if, as if eating is a sin, especially not if you haven't had food for 40 days. And so Jesus then answers from Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It's not bread that gives us life, Jesus is saying. It's God who gives us life. Without God, you cannot have bread. And even the bread you have won't satisfy you without God. So Jesus knows that the Father will give some way out here. He will provide a way out and, and do it at the right time. So Jesus waits upon his Father. Maybe the devil says the same to you. The devil says to you, the Lord has forgotten all about you. The Lord is not coming through for you. How long, how long, tell me, how long have you been praying for us for a marriage partner? How long have you been praying for a husband or a wife? How long have you been praying for a job? How long have you been praying about your health? God is not coming through. Get the picture. You'll have to help yourself out in this one. Just marry the unbeliever. Why wait for a Christian? Why not visit the palm reader? Go to someone with a crystal ball. They can tell you the future. Yes, I know, I know it's illegal to make money in this way, but what should you do? Where's the money going to come from? Your children must eat. So you see how, how subtle Satan is and how he comes. So what we should do rather as Christians is fill your mind with the promises of God. Remind yourself that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Remind yourself he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will uphold you with his righteous right hand. He will go you th with you through the fire and through the water. It will not burn you. It will not drown you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he will provide what you, what you need. He'll give you all these things that you need. Don't worry and be concerned about tomorrow. 
And no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear, but with a temptation he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So those are the kinds of promises. Fill your mind with them. Meditate on them. Think on them. Believe those promises. And then ask Jesus. Ask him, please, give me your strength so that I can say no to this temptation. And because Jesus has already won the victory, he can help you. And then the, third, the second temptation in verse 5 to 8. Now, I don't know if you've seen dogs you know, some very small dogs, if they come to bite your ankles, you can just kick them and they'll run away. But some dogs, you kick that dog in the teeth and he'll come back at you. That is how, how, what Satan did here. So he was kicked in the teeth once, or maybe more than once here, but at least the first temptation in this passage, and he just comes back. He comes back. So he takes Jesus to a high mountain, and in a moment of time, it says, he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in verse 5. It's, so, it's like Jesus see this, sees this in his mind's eye. And we know it's a high mountain from Matthew 4. And then Satan says, this is all yours. I'll give all of this to you if you will simply fall down and worship me. Verse 6 and 7. So it's as if, it's as if Satan says to him, is it really necessary for you to suffer? According to Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, is it really necessary for you to suffer in order for the nations to, to come and worship you. That is unnecessary. I can spare you a lot of pain and suffering if you would do, simply do things in my way. And then you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. It'll be yours in, in an instant, in a moment. The nations will bow before you. So why not do what every successful politician does? Any success, uh, successful political leader, they worship me and, and if you do so, the kingdoms will be yours. I'll even send my agents and they'll, they'll bully your opponents, they'll suppress your opponents, they'll spread my propaganda, they'll spread lies about your opponents in the media and I'll give you riches and then you can buy your position to the top. You can pay your position. Why not bribe? And, and if someone won't work with you and they're not on your side, I'll send out my agents. We'll just make them disappear. No one will even know. So, what do you say, Jesus? Is, is, it, is it a deal? But obviously, that, that was a lie that Satan told Jesus. It's a lie not only because Satan wouldn't give him the kingdoms, but because Satan could not give him these kingdoms. It wasn't his to give. So yes, Satan does hold, he does hold human leaders under his power, political leaders. Daniel 10 verse 13, you read of the prince of Persia, implying that there are demonic forces behind these kings and princes, or John 12 verse 31, Jesus speaks of Satan as the ruler of this world. Or Revelation 13 verse 2 says the dragon gave his power to this beast. In other words, Satan giving power to a, a human emperor. <coughs> but the, the kingdoms do not belong to Satan. Satan says, these are all mine, it's been delivered to me, I give it to whom I will, verse 6. That's a lie. 1 Samuel 15 verse 28, God says... I will take the kingdom from you, Saul, and give it to the one I please. 
And he gave it to David. Or Jeremiah 27, verse 5 and 6, God says, I gave these kingdoms to Nebuchadnezzar, all the kingdoms of the world. Daniel 2.21, God says, I set kings up and I remove kings. Daniel 4, Daniel 5, it says about Nebuchadnezzar and his son. It says, I give the kingdoms of men to whom I please. And so Jesus waited upon his father. He waited until he would, until Christ waited until he himself would die for the nations and purchase them with his blood until the father would then give him the kingdoms. Psalm 2 verse 8, ask of me and I will give nations as your inheritance. Daniel 7, we see Jesus going up to the ancient of days and he receives the kingdom and he receives all the nations to worship him. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, not by Satan, but by his father. And then all these nations bow in worship to him from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 5 verse 9. And so the praise of Jesus and the worship of Jesus and the obedience of Jesus is reserved for his Father alone. Verse 8. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. As he quotes from Deuteronomy 6. And so that is also why Jesus in, in the desert and in his life and on the cross, he conquered Satan. Why? He conquered Satan so that you and I could now inherit the kingdom too. Matthew 25, 34. He conquered Satan so that you and I will worship the Lord our God and serve him only. So look at what, what God offers you. And if you see what God offers you, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, then you will say no to Satan's fool's gold. When Satan tempts you with his fool's gold, it's fake gold, it's not real. Don't fall for it. And discern between, or discern, discern Satan's voice. Discern and say, no, this is Satan's voice. This is the devil's voice. When he tempts you through the world, when the world tells you, your best life now, when the world tells you, why not gather, gather more and more for yourself so that you can retire in luxury. Live for the moment, buy now, why wait? This is, this is the offer of a lifetime, you're never going to get this special again. And the stock's going to disappear, there won't be stock anymore, you need to buy now. And if you buy now, we'll give you ABC for free. Why wait if you can have it all now? Yes? And what if you die before the end of February because of COVID or some other illness or some other cause of death? What, what about all your stuff then? Whose will it be? Is it really worth it to miss the kingdom of God simply because you want to enjoy the pleasures of life and you want it now? What does it gain a man? What, what does it help if a man gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And then you need to hear what God said to the, the rich man in Luke 12. Then God says the same to you, you fool. The third temptation, that's verse 9 to 12. Now, teleportation, um, that is when someone he disappears and then he immediately appears at some other place. Or uh, they speak of astral projection, which is when people say the spirit leaves the body and then it 
the body just lies here on the bed and the spirit leaves the body and goes to some other place. Or we read in the Bible of visions by the spirit given by the Holy Spirit. So when the spirit takes you into the realities of the spiritual world, you see things that you cannot see with the eye of the body. And we find these kinds of things in scripture. Now they can be very evil. It can be very evil, used by occultists, Satanists, and so on. But in the Bible, you do find, um, for instance, in, in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 26, you find an example of these kinds of things I just mentioned with Elisha, where Elisha says to his servant, Didn't my heart go after you? I heard what, you, what that man said to you. Or in Ezekiel 8, where the Spirit takes Ezekiel by the hair and then he goes in visions to Jerusalem. Or Acts 8, where Philip baptizes the Ethiopian and suddenly Philip is transported. And then next moment he's in another town called Azotus and he keeps on preaching the gospel there. Or in Second Kings, Paul says, I know a man who went to the third heavens. I don't know whether it was in the body or out of the body. Or in, in Revelation, you see the Apostle John having these visions and suddenly he's in heaven. Uh, so those things are a reality, but that is not how Jesus got to the pinnacle of the temple, onto the temple roof in verse 9. Because, according to Mark 1 verse 13, Jesus remained in the desert. He was in the desert for the full 40 days. So what happens here then, rather, is it's like Jesus sees himself in his mind's eye, standing on the highest point of the temple. Now that's 137 meters down, 450 feet down from the highest pinnacle of the temple, the highest point, not to uh, the, where the foundation of the temple is, but right down, says Josephus, a Jewish historian, right down into the Kidron Valley. And uh, Josephus says you, you become lightheaded. It's like you become dizzy when you're standing on that height and you look down. So what, what Satan wants is he, he, he makes Jesus think. It's like he gets into Jesus' mind, wanting him to think, uh, almost imagining how he jumps off the temple roof and how the angels catch him before he hits the ground. And it's like, uh, and, and Satan even quotes Psalm 91 here, saying this is what will happen. And he's, he's sketching the idea as if, Jesus, you'll be the hero. Everyone will see you as the hero if you do this. But then Jesus immediately realizes that this is Satan and he's, he's even misquoting Psalm 91. He's quoting it out of context, because if you read Psalm 91, you read the context. The context says, the one who hides himself, the one who sh finds his shelter in the Most High, the one who trusts in God, not the one who listens to Satan, not the one who is reckless, but the one who trusts in God. God will send the angels to protect him. And besides, the angels were with Jesus. And they did protect him during these 40 days, even if he could not see them. Mark 1 verse 13 says, the angels were there. But there's a greater lesson than that. And the greater lesson is, I hope you saw this, it's very obvious. Satan sometimes tempts us by quoting scripture. Have you seen that in our country and in our society and in Western culture? How scripture is quoted to defend homosexuality. How scripture was quoted in the 1960s to defend apartheid. How scripture is quoted to say Jesus is not God. 
How scripture is quoted to say, you can simply speak life and speak your own existence. How scripture is quoted to say, God wants every Christian to have lots and lots and lots of money. So you and I, we need to know our Bibles really well. So that we can know this is false teaching, this is wrong teaching. We need to memorize scripture. We need to drink the Bible in like you drink water or drink cold drink. We need to read lots of scripture so that you can, when someone quotes scripture to you but it's false, you will be able to say this is not what God says. You use the sword of the spirit like Jesus here. Jesus answers scripture with scripture. When Satan misquotes, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy to say no, this is what the word says. So don't believe everything that anyone tells you. Measure whatever you hear, measure it against scripture. Acts 17.11, we read of the Jews in Berea, searching the scriptures to see what if Paul said was really so. So what I mean by that is when someone says the Bible says, go to that passage and go and read the entire context and then discuss that passage with other believers. And then look, what did believers believe in church all throughout church history? What did, what did Christians say about this passage? And then listen very finely, fine-tune your ears to listen very closely to what the person does not say. Because there are some preachers, they don't bring you blatantly false teaching, but there are certain, certain things they just leave out. They'll never preach about sin or God's holiness or about God's judgment or hell or any such thing. And you see Jesus here answering from Scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy 6 verse 16. And he says in verse 12, don't test God. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. So for instance, you cannot go and make a lot of, go into debt, and you've got all this debt, and it's bad debt, and you cannot afford this debt, and then you say, yes, but the Lord will provide. You cannot marry an unbeliever knowingly. You just go into this relationship, I'm going to marry an unbeliever, and then you say, but I'll pray that God will save her. I'll pray that God will save him. Now, what you should rather do, don't put the Lord your God to the test. What you should rather do in the first place, obey what God tells you in his word. And then the Lord will bless you. And then number three. So that was before the temptation. Then we just had the temptation, during the temptation. And now thirdly, after the temptation. That's in verse 13. Have you ever thought you've conquered a certain sin in your life just for it to sneak up on you when you least expect it to happen. Galatians 2, like Peter. Peter had conquered the fear of man because he denied Jesus before and now he's filled with the Spirit. But then you see Peter later on fearing men again in Galatians 2. He's a people pleaser. And so Jesus understood this, that temptation can come from any angle. So he's not just sitting down and saying of I've won the victory because Satan leaves in verse 13. Jesus knows he will come back. That's why verse 13 says, Satan de uh, departed from him until an opportune time. And so he did come back. Jesus even said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He knew it was the devil working through Peter here. And when Jesus was on the cross and they said, get down from the cross, save yourself and us. It was a temptation. And so be very watchful, be very watchful. Just like the devil tempted Jesus, he will tempt you and I. He will tempt us. And if you're, not a, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, 
Well, you, are, you do not even realize Satan is leading you by the nose. You are under the power of Satan, Ephesians 2 verse 2, 1 John 5, 90. And so ask the Lord, ask the Lord to break the power of Satan in your life, to free you from the chains of sin and of Satan, and to bring you from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And if you're a Christian, do not, do not despair when the temptations just keep on hitting you wave after wave after wave. But hide behind the rock of Jesus Christ. And stand on the victory of Jesus Christ when he conquered Satan 2,000 years ago in the desert, through his life, on the cross, and in the resurrection. And so in that sense, it's really not you on my battle to win this. This is a battle that has already been won. Jesus has already gained the victory. It's almost like South Africa in the 29 Rugby World Cup when we won the World Cup. Many South Africans said, we won the World Cup, we won the World Cup, although many of them had never played rugby in their lives. We have won the victory, although actually it is Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to trust in you and give us grace to rest and trust and draw strength from the victory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.